This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. The word that I have for you today is the power of anticipation. The power of anticipation. As a church, ICGC's mission is to raise leaders and shape vision and influence society through Christ. We truly believe and 100% we believe that each and every single one of you has leadership potential. That God didn't just throw you onto this earth and leave you. But he put leadership potential inside of you. You are born to make impact in your world. You are born to make impact in your family. You are born to make impact in your community. And so whether you are a student, whether you are a career person, whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you are single or married, whether your relationship status declares that it's complicated, if it's complicated, see me after service. Regardless of whatever it is, you have leadership potential on the inside of you. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 5, and we'll read from verses thir- verse 13 to 14. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible you want to be a ray of sunshine this morning and be nice, share, share your Bible with someone. Say hey and then share your Bible. I can see your Bible list. Matthew 5, 13 to 14. It says that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. This verse is really talking about your leadership potential and what you can do with it. It says that you are salt, which means that you are created to make influence. You are light. You are created to give direction. You are a city set on a hill. You are are made to stand out. You are not made to fit in. So you are made to be a leader. But the interesting thing about your leadership potential is that not everybody is going to walk in it. Not everybody is going to realize it. Not everybody is going to reach the fullness of that potential. The best most people will do or the best most people will ever achieve is to be a good leader. But the thing about good is that good is good. Good is just just good. But why would you want to be good when you have the option to be great? Why would you want to be good when you can actually be great at what you do? We are not just called to be good leaders. We are called and designed to be great leaders. And one major difference between a good leader and a great leader is that a good leader reacts to things. But a great leader anticipates things. So let's define anticipation. Anticipation is to expect something. Anticipation is to predict that something is going to happen. Anticipation is to regard something as possible, to regard something as probable, to regard something as likely to happen. 
And if you want to be a great leader, you have to understand the power of anticipation. And there are three things I would like to discuss with you this morning and hopefully it would have an impact in your life and on what you do, the work that God has given to you. The first thing is that anticipation is the act of a forerunner. Anticipation is the act of a forerunner. What you anticipate would determine how you run. What you regard possible would dictate how you live your life. When you go to an event, a forerunner is a person who comes on stage to set the tone. The person who comes on stage to warm up the audience in anticipation for when the, the main event shows up. So that when the main event shows up, the atmosphere is already set. The forerunner sets the atmosphere so that the superstar can show up and just flow. And for us as a church, we have some pretty awesome forerunners. And our forerunners are church workers. These are people who right after this service, they, they, they gear into forerunner mode. They gather and they ask themselves, how can we improve this week's service? How can next week's service be better than this, this week's service? Our forerunners show up throughout the week to rehearse. Our forerunners show up and they, count, they spend countless hours rehearsing for you to show up. We have something in this church called a service run-through. And we put it together so that when you show up to church, we are not just coming to try our luck. But everybody knows exactly what to say at what moment. We do that so that there will be no mistakes. We are forerunners, so we have to make sure that we ran well. Our forerunners showed up as MCs this morning. They told you what to expect from service. They showed up as intercessors. They showed up as the band. They showed up as the worship team. I'm right here right now forerunning. The band will come again. We are all forerunners. Why? Because we anticipate that in every service, God is going to move in a spectacular way. We are setting the stage for the superstar who is God. We know that God is going to lift our burdens. We know that God is going to heal somebody. We know that God is going to restore somebody. And our job as a forerunner is to anticipate the huge responsibility of what is coming. We anticipate the gravity and the weight of God's presence. So we set the, the tone. We set the stage. And in the Bible, there's a forerunner I want us to look at. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 3, 1 to 5. Matthew 3, 1 to 5. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all of the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. 
in the Bible, John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. God himself chose to come on earth. And the person that he chose to set the tone for him was this person called John the Baptist. God set aside John the Baptist for this particular purpose. Before John the Baptist was ever born, God actually spoke about him that there's going to be somebody to come before I actually come. His destiny was already prepared as a forerunner. And his message was simple. His job description was simple. I need to run my race well so that when Jesus comes, he can preach his message well. And if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for some time, you've heard about John the Baptist. You've heard about just how deep the guy was. You know, I know so many people who know John, but I don't know many people who say my favorite character in the Bible is John. And there are a few reasons I can give you. First of all, this guy was intense. Whenever I read about John, even now as I'm reading the scripture, I'm like, this guy is crazy. This guy was highly intense. Can you imagine meeting somebody? Everybody is eating normal food. But this guy has chosen to eat wild honey. I don't even know what, how wild honey looks like. But I can only imagine John in his camel hair clothing with a spear going to fight bees for the honey. That's, that's the image I have of him. Apart from that, he decides to also eat locusts. Like, why do? Why would you want to eat locusts? Like, there's normal food. Why are you this intense? If you've read anything about John the Baptist, he would address the religious leaders and call them a brood of vipers. This guy didn't mix up his words. This guy knew what he said and meant what he said. This guy wasn't shy of nobody. He had a mission and he was going to accomplish that mission. In fact, because of how intense and how serious the guy was, it led to his death. And I always wondered, why are you so intense, though? Like, when there are other people who came, but John, like, there's just a vibe about you. And as I was preparing the message, I was like, man, he was a forerunner. That's why he was intense. He was a forerunner of God himself made flesh. He, if John the Baptist messed up, it would have affected the mission of Jesus. If John the Baptist didn't do what he was supposed to do, Jesus would have probably spent like 40 years extra on earth. So John understood the weight and the gravity of his mission. And he understood that and he anticipated what that meant. He anticipated what Jesus was coming to do. So as a forerunner, he understood that a lot lies on my shoulders. I cannot stop but do well. I cannot do anything to contradict what Jesus is coming to do. So as a forerunner, he had to be intense. As a forerunner, he didn't have time to play games. As a forerunner, he didn't have time to not be intense. As a forerunner, there was so much that came upon his back that he had to run that race and run it well. And if you want to be a leader who anticipates, if you want to be a great leader, you have to understand that you are also a forerunner. And as a forerunner, you don't have time to play certain games. I know people say you are 20 years old. I know people say you are just in university, you are in level one. 
But I'm here to announce to you that if you are a forerunner, you have so much that is depending on you. Too many people are depending on you for you to mess up now. For you to think that there's a soft life for you when you're still living with mommy and daddy. And you are also posting hashtag soft life. <laughs> it's not for you yet. It's for you when, the, when you meet Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful. Until then, we are forerunning. And we anticipate that God is going to use us to do great things. If you anticipate that the call upon your life is going to come to pass. If you anticipate that God is going to do mighty things with you, you have to have the mindset of a forerunner. The mindset of a forerunner. You cannot afford to play certain games. You cannot afford to be lazy. If you are the first person in your family to go to school, you are a forerunner. If you are the first person amongst your family who wants to have a successful marriage, you are a forerunner. If you want to leave a generational inheritance for your children and your children's children, you are a forerunner. If you want to redefine who an African is and what we can do, regardless of gender, you are a forerunner. And as a forerunner, you have to understand the gravity of the type of people waiting for you to succeed. When I was in college, I remember so well, one day I was lying in bed and I was telling God, I want you to use me, use me. I would cry to God all the time because you guys know this. I didn't know what I was doing in my life. I was in school, but I was like, I don't think I'm good for anything. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my talents are. And I told God, use me in, in, in any way you want. And then in that moment, I began to just anticipate greatness. That God was going to use me. I didn't know how it would look like. But I could just anticipate that there was something that was going to happen. And I remember I told God, I said, God, for what I anticipate, I can see the people, I can see the women, I can see the men right there in that room. I could anticipate it. And I remember I told God, because of that, there are certain things I'm not going to do. Because of that, there are certain places I'm not going to be. Because of that, no matter what, what people say, there are certain drinks I will not drink. There are certain clothes I will not wear. There are certain places that you won't catch insurer there. Because I anticipate that there's a generation that is looking for a model of holiness. There's a generation that is looking for a model of purity. In a time where it seems that nobody can be holy and nobody can be pure. Nobody can be a virgin and nobody can be sexless. In that kind of generation, I told God, use me as, as an example. So I became a forerunner. And because of that, I'm focused. Because of that, I know where I'm going. If you know that there are people that rely on you. If you know that what God has called you to be, there are generations after you who need that. I'm here to announce to you that you're a forerunner. And you cannot afford to be lazy. You cannot afford to be tired. You cannot afford to complain. Yes, it's difficult because you are a forerunner. Nobody has walked that path before. Ask John the Baptist. You have to be intense about it. You have to be able to see the reward. Once you're able to see the prize, you run the race. Once you can anticipate the victory, you pick up yourself and try again. Once you can anticipate that promotion, you work 
hard and you burn the midnight oil. Once you can anticipate that job, you keep on applying. Once you can anticipate that million billion dollar company, you keep on grinding. You don't give up. Some of us are easily leaning towards giving up. Because you don't anticipate who needs you. You don't anticipate that Ghana is looking for someone like you. Meanwhile, you all want to run away to other places. But can you imagine if you stay? And can you imagine if you do well? Can you imagine the generations that will use you as an example that if she could do it, if he could do it, you are a forerunner. And we have to understand the responsibility of being a forerunner. The second thing is anticipation is the mindset of innovators. Anticipation is the mindset of innovators. Esther is going about her queenly duties. And one day her cousin Mordecai comes to her and says, Esther, we are in deep trouble. Because the king has sent out a verdict that every Jew is to be killed. Because Mordecai decided not to bow down to the king's right-hand man called Haman. So the Jews, because of Mordecai's action, were about to die. And so they were looking for somebody in the system who knew this king to advocate for them. And the only person they know is Esther. So Mordecai goes to Esther and tells Esther, Esther, you have to do something about this. Because we are all about to die. And Esther begins to give Mordecai all these excuses. She says, Mordecai, look at all the hindrances. Look at all the limitations. I mean, I could go to the king, but unless the king calls for me and I enter, if he doesn't raise up his golden scepter, I'm going to die. And so this is what Mordecai tells her. Let's open our Bibles to Esther 4, 14 to 16. Esther 4, 14 to 16. 16. For if you remain silent, this is Mordecai speaking, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are present in instruction and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. My mates and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther begins by listing all her limitations. And then all of a sudden, she makes this statement. That if I go and pray, once I go and I pray, things can change. And then all of a sudden, this woman changes her language. Because Esther now puts on the mindset of anticipation. She puts on the mindset of anticipation that says, what if I bring that petition to God? 
And I know that once I bring that petition to God, I anticipate that God hears those who cry unto him. God hears the, the cry of the brokenhearted. God hears the cry of the orphan. God hears our prayers. So now she anticipates what God can do. And all of a sudden, Esther moves from being terrified, from looking at all her limitations, to moving out in bold faith. All because she changed her mindset to anticipation. She anticipated what God could do. What if it works? And sometimes we are faced with so many limitations. And we are afraid to make certain moves and take certain steps. Listen, only great leaders make bold steps. So until you have the courage to make bold steps, you are going to be a good leader. And that's, that's fine if you want. But as for me and my husband and my children, in this church called Cornerstone, we are called to be great. And so we take bold steps for God, but it only requires what you anticipate. So in whatever field you find yourself, if you want to be a leader who anticipates, you have to train your brain and train yourself to see opportunity in the midst of limitation. In the midst of a problem, you have to see possibility. One of the things that happened to us during COVID, it was such a significant time in our lives. Because as you know, PH and I are pastors. We are used to talking to you like this. We are used to seeing your face. We are used to all of you coming into this building and let's have a good convo. But all of a sudden, COVID hit. And what separated us from you was a screen. And we couldn't do anything about that. So one day we're having a conversation and we said, isn't it sad? I mean, we love you guys. We, we, we just know we have a lot of love for you guys. But we are talking and we said, isn't it sad that your influence can be stuck just within four walls. And if those walls don't function anymore, you are done for. And we spoke and we said, there's no way that God will limit your ability to one job. And for those of you who are in just a nine to five and you are content and you are fine, just know that your nine to five, your influence goes beyond your nine to five. You can enjoy your nine to five. You can do all those great things. If you're an entrepreneur, enjoy what you do. But your influence goes beyond those four walls of your business. It goes beyond those four walls of your career. So if you're not influencing anybody outside of your career, outside of your classroom, you are not doing well. So we had a conversation and then we started a YouTube page. And it's amazing what God has done with just that one step. If I begin to give you all the testimonies, you'll be mind blown. It's because in the midst of a problem, we trained our brain to see opportunity. So when people were sleeping, people said, this is the most time I've had in my life. People were complaining, I can't hug my neighbor. We found a way to still make impact. There's always an opportunity in the midst of your problem. And until you discover that you would do Nothing. You would just be a good leader. Great leaders see opportunity. The greatest problems, uh, the greatest problem of our generation is that we are skilled in the act of complaining. We are skilled in the act of excuses. Talk to the average person your, your age or talk to yourself. Go back to your Facebook post, to your last WhatsApp message, 
to your last Instagram or Snap, whatever you do. I, I'm not on Snap, so I don't know the, the lingo. Just go there and see what you posted. And you realize that everybody is complaining. Everybody is complaining. Do you know there's somebody who is gathering all your complaints and coming up with a solution to your complaints? That as you are tired, they are typing, I'm tired of e-levy. There's somebody who is positioning themselves to try and figure out how can I solve this problem? As you are there saying, I'm tired of swimming in the flood. Somebody is trying to figure out how am I going to solve this problem. As you are complaining, there are no jobs in Ghana. There's somebody sitting down figuring it out. Why isn't it you? That other person is doing that anticipating that young people are in need of jobs. They are anticipating that there has to be a shift in how business is done. They are anticipating that there's something more. So they are positioning themselves for that time, but we are complaining. And we have to be a generation that sees possibilities. Your greatest ideas will come out from your greatest problems. If you have a great problem, thank God. Because it's an opportunity to come up with a great opportunity. It's an opportunity to be innovative. Go and ask Esther. Take your time and read the book of Esther. Esther, after she, she goes before the king... And the king raises up his golden scepter and she gets to talk to him. She comes up with the most clever and the most innovative way of bringing her petition to God, to the king. It's so clever. It's so different. I read it and I'm like, wow, what a woman. I'm like, make me this wise, Lord. Because once you anticipate, you begin to innovate. And we have to be able to innovate. Innovators break rules. Ask Esther. Innovators think outside of the box. Ask Esther. We cannot be in, our, in this generation and do the same thing over and over again. If PH and I did the same church, you would not be here. If our church was the same church down the street, you would not be here. You are here because there's a vibe. And it's different. And you're feeling it. Yes. So why don't you do the same? Listen, it works. I'm not telling you anything that doesn't work. It works. If you anticipate, you become an innovator. Because you listen to people. You hear what they say. You innovate strategies and ideas that are different from what other people are doing. Tell your neighbor, I am an innovator. It's time to stop complaining. Okay, you don't, you don't have to say that part, but thank you for saying it. It's time to stop complaining, guys. It's time to stop pointing the finger at the government. Point it at yourself. What are you doing? What are you innovating? What are you introducing? What do you anticipate to do different? What is your contribution? Because if you are not contributing anything, you have no purpose to comment. If you're not doing anything, you don't have a reason to comment. It's like some of the people talking about e-levy. You don't even pay normal tax. So why are you complaining? But those are the ones who complain the most. If you don't do anything, just keep your mouth shut and do us all a favor. Stop complaining. What can I innovate this year is what you have to ask yourself. 
And finally, anticipation is the strength of obedience. Anticipation is the strength of obedience. Not everyone has the ability to anticipate. Not everyone. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, to chapter 10, verse 1, don't worry, I will not let you read it. It will be hours and... I know some of you are ready to eat that food after lunch because 40 days is coming, so just anticipate it, anticipate it. In Genesis 5, 32 to 10, verse 1, God makes a decision to destroy the earth with water. And he makes this decision because the earth is corrupted by the fleshly desires of humanity. But there's one person that God decides to spare. And this one person is called Noah. He's a 500-year-old man. And God decides to spare his life and that of his family. So one day Noah is minding his own business and God appears on the scene. And God tells Noah, build an ark for me. Because I'm about to destroy what I have created. Just because of the sinful nature of humanity. So build an ark for me. This ark at the end of the day is what is going to save your life. So God gives Noah the, descrip the descriptions of, of how to construct this ark. He tells Noah the kind of wood to use for the ark. He tells Noah the dimensions of the wood to use. He tells Noah the type of animals to put in the ark, the quantity of animals to put in the ark. He tells Noah, just bring your family. Don't bring Auntie Akos down the street. He tells Noah everything he needs to know. The only thing that God doesn't tell Noah, which is probably the most important thing, is when in the world is this flood going to hit? The Bible tells us that God appears to Noah when he's 500 years old. I don't know what that looks like, by the way. I don't know what a 500-year-old man looks like. I was telling the morning, the previous service, that I'm 30 years old and gray hair is already trying to attempt and try my beauty. <laughs> so 500 years, I, I have no idea what is going on on this guy's head. God appears to him and gives him this mission at 500 years. The Bible tells us later that God appears when he's 600 years. I don't know about you, but if you receive a message today that God is going to do something in your life, and a hundred years later, everybody you know is dead and gone. It hasn't yet come to pass. What do you do? What I love about Noah is that for those hundred years, every single moment and every single day, Noah is anticipating because he has no idea when this flood is going to hit. But he never gets tired because I'm sure in Noah's mind that anticipation is that if God has said it, that God would do it. That God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it and will he not do it? That is the anticipation that keeps Noah going. It makes him know that I can be obedient to this guy. I can be obedient to this God. Because if he has said it, he will do it. So every single day, for a hundred years, Noah gets up and he's hitting the wood. 
people are passing by. A 12-year-old is passing by, but the time the 12-year-old is 24, Noah is still. People are laughing at him. Where is your God? This guy is crazy. Noah is still. You show up one time, he's gathering chickens. Hey, bro. You show up another time, he's gathering goats. Why is he doing what he's doing? It makes no sense. I'm sure his family, because his family did not hear what God said. I'm sure his family too are wondering, but oh well, let's keep moving. So the family says like, man, I mean, I want to live too. He's hitting that wood. A hundred years. What do you anticipate? Because if God has said it and you anticipate that he will do it, you will not stop moving. And so God finally shows up. After a hundred years, God shows up finally and says, Noah, you have been obedient. You have been obedient. It's time to enter into the ark. After seven days, the flood is coming. If Noah had not been obedient, God would have still kept his word. Because the flood was going to come. The question was that if he was not obedient, he would have drowned with everybody else. Because God is not a man that he should lie. So as for his part, he will keep it. He will remain true to his part. The question is, are you obedient enough to stay? Do you anticipate that what is going on is true? So I have to remain obedient. I don't know about you. But in this year, God told us in January that this is a year of increase. And I anticipate increase in my life. I anticipate increase in the life of my children, in the life of my husband, in the life of every single member. I don't care if it takes two months. I don't care if it takes three months. All I know is that one day, one day, just like Noah, God will step onto the scene. And it's interesting that God shows up seven days before the miracle happens. So God shows up. Whenever he shows up, it's swift. He shows up right on time. Right at the moment. This year, I anticipate that I'm going to increase. I anticipate that the five loaves and the two fish that I have, the ones I presented to God, no matter how little it looks, no matter how small it looks, the ones I bring that to God, my little wisdom, my little energy, my, my little knowledge, I present that five loves to God. I believe that in due season, in due season, the little that I have, one God shows up because he never lies. And I anticipate that my end will be greater than right now, that my end is glorious, that my end is good. I anticipate that the work of my hands might look like it's nothing, but once I present it to God, the faithful God, the good God, the mighty God, I anticipate that you step into my situation and you turn it all around. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.